there are things that I have been very passionate about in my life that I was not naturally gifted at. And I realized from an early age that I would just have to work my ass off to get what I wanted. And that's really stuck with me. Welcome to the Grind and Be Grateful podcast. I'm your host, Marie Wold, business mentor, social media and sales expert, and lifestyle entrepreneur committed to educating and empowering women to build the lives and businesses of their dreams. Each week, my guests and I are proving that with hard work and the right mindset, absolutely anything is possible. We are here to bring you not just inspiration, but also actionable takeaways that you can use to create a life you love right now. We are also talking all things entrepreneurship and personal development, including wellness, social media, confidence, sales, business strategy, mindset, wealth building, and so much more. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to the Grind and Be Grateful podcast, my friend. I'm so glad you're here. And today is going to be a little bit of a vulnerable episode for me. But I mean, what else is new? (laughs) I always keep it real. I always tell you like it is. And I'm not afraid to admit that I struggle or admit that I'm imperfect or admit that the shit is not easy. So today I'm going to be sharing with you how I manage anxiety as an entrepreneur. And I want to preface this conversation with saying that it is very much my own experience. It is very much my own take on things and what has worked for me. These are by no means prescriptions for how it should work for everyone. I just simply am sharing my experience because I believe that if everyone was a bit more open about their experiences with mental health, with their experiences with anxiety, there would not be so much stigma. People would not struggle so much because there would be more resources and people would not feel the level of shame that honestly surrounds mental health and surrounds anxiety. And I also just want to normalize like being successful AF and having an amazing life and having a bomb business and having clients that are killing it and also being an imperfect human that struggles. I don't think there's enough of that. So had to preface with with that stuff before we jump in, but I'm really excited to dive into this today. But before we do, This episode is brought to you by Online Coach Kickstart and a limited time bonus that's available when you take action right now. Online Coach Kickstart is my industry-leading group mentorship program for beginner and aspiring online coaches who want to make bank while making a difference. And for a limited time, when you apply for OCK, you will get the Sales Call Secrets Bundle as a free enrollment bonus, which is normally $5.97. I'm talking sales call scripts, objection handling blueprints, and sample sales calls for you to study so that you can feel 100% confident signing new clients from the very beginning. So not only do you get that, but you also get the entire online coach kickstart curriculum, which literally takes you step-by-step through every stage of starting and scaling your online coaching business to consistent 5k months and beyond. So this enrollment bonus is only available until June 25th, 2020. So get your application in right now to lock it in. You can learn more about the program and submit your application at www.onlinecoachkickstart.com. Again, that is onlinecoachkickstart.com. 
com. I can't wait to help you kickstart your coaching business. I will see you inside. Now, without further ado, let's jump in to this episode. I'm not nervous, <laughs> but I do feel a little vulnerable opening up about my experience with anxiety because it's something that I still deal with. I still manage. I don't think that it's something that you necessarily fix or like make disappear. I think you get better at managing it. I think you get better at releasing anxiety and addressing it when it comes up and identifying it and having boundaries and all that stuff. But it still is very much a thing and something that I have to be aware of in my life. And I think that kind of is the life of a high achiever a little bit. I tend to work with a lot of business owners who are the high achiever type. They are very goal oriented. They are not afraid to work hard. They are very driven and ambitious and they have big goals for themselves. And that makes them really great entrepreneurs. You don't have to be that way to be a great entrepreneur, but I tend to see that a lot in my clients. And kind of the con, I think every like personality type or kind of like blueprint personality has strengths and weaknesses. And I think maybe the weakness or the downfall of the high achiever is maybe anxiety, burnout, struggling to always meet their own expectations. And I have a history of putting a ton of pressure on myself to always work harder, to always be better, to always do more, be more, generate more, whatever. And that is not necessarily a great way to live. It's definitely not a sustainable way to live. And this goes way, way back. I would say I do have some natural talents for sure. There are things that I have been very passionate about in my life that I was not naturally gifted at. And I realized from an early age that I would just have to work my ass off to get what I wanted. And that's really stuck with me. For example, I played volleyball starting in middle school and played all the way into college in the NCAA, and I was not naturally super gifted. Like, I'm five foot five and mildly athletic, but I definitely was not the player that was getting scouted for D1. I definitely was not the player that just picked stuff up really easily. Like, I was the one who was going to three-a-day clinics for, like, setting for eight hours a day in the summer when other people were like on the lake. Like I was the one who was doing extra reps after practice, getting there early, staying late, paying for extra sessions. Like that was me as a player. And I always would get complimented on my work ethic. Like my coaches would always say, Marie, you're the hardest worker in the room or like way to work hard, way to get after it, way to blah, blah, blah. Like I was always complimented on my work ethic. So that became my role on the team was to be the person who brought energy, who worked hard, who set the standard for that, not necessarily being the one that was like always starting. In high school, I did start. In my club teams, I sometimes started. In college, I never started. But my role on the team was still really valuable as the person that set the standard for work ethic, who set the standard for energy and showing up. And so it got ingrained in me from an early age that working hard was like my value. Working hard was the only way to get more of what I wanted, whether it was in school, in sports, in my body, anything. So 
that was kind of my paradigm. Like the belief system I operated under was working harder and doing more is the only way to make progress. It's the only way to get noticed. It's the only way to get like a spot on the team, to get the grades I want, to get the body I want, to get anything. And that started from a really early age. And I think a lot of people can probably relate. (laughs) And because of that, combined with just like an innate desire to always be the best at everything. Like, I don't think that was necessarily something my parents ingrained in me. I don't think that's necessarily something my parents pressured me to do. Of course, they wanted me to get good grades. Of course, they wanted me to like do on sports or whatever, but they never were like pushers like that. I think it's always just been an ingrained thing in me where I, I, if I'm going to do something, I want to be the best at it. I want to get the A plus. I want to be on the Dean's list. I want to be an honor student. I want to be the starting spot. I want to be on varsity. I want to be the captain, like all of that stuff. And I achieved all of those things, but that's always just been an innate thing for me. And that combined with working hard, getting like reaffirmed for me over and over again, I started having panic attacks at a pretty young age. Like I had my first panic attack in high school and I remember it happened when I was in AP biology class and it was like such a crazy experience. Like I felt it coming on. I had never felt that way in my body before. And it was so scary. And it has happened maybe like once or twice a year since then, but kind of ebbing and flowing. I would say an average of once or twice a year, but there have been periods where I was having like multiple panic attacks in a week or multiple in a month. And then I wouldn't have one for like six months or 12 months. But it's always when I'm super stressed. It's always when I've put a lot of pressure on myself. It's always when things just kind of pile up. And that's been really scary, but it's also been a wake-up call. And it's it's been concrete evidence that like I put too much pressure on myself sometimes. And my belief and my diagnosis is that like some of my anxiety is normal that everybody experiences, right? Like before a a big event, before a test, before a horse show, before an important interview, right? Like some of my anxiety is normal. The Sunday scaries is normal, (laughs) but also some of it is on a clinical level where it's above like what a mentally healthy person should experience. And talking to my therapist, that's, that's the understanding I've had. And I've also gotten the understanding that like a lot of people who are high achievers experience it on a clinical level. So that's kind of my background with anxiety. I mostly get anxiety, as you can imagine, around my career at this point. But I also think that I put a lot of pressure on myself to have my shit together with my house. Like buying a house was super stressful. I had a panic attack around that time, (laughs) around like running my household, around which I now have help with, which is very helpful. But things like that, even around like horse stuff, like horse shows, I have anxiety around that. But again, some of that's very normal. But I would say my business is one of the biggest sources of anxiety. However, I have really, really, really gotten better at managing that and really gotten better at having the tools and the self-awareness to cope with it. So I don't want to give you the impression that I'm like an anxious mess every day now. Because that's very much not the case. I've gotten very good at managing my anxiety. But earlier on in my business, especially when I was like working super long hours and just grinding and hustling and like just doing everything and I had no team and no strategy and 
no support, <laughs> that's when my anxiety was really bad. Now I would say I have it pretty under wraps unless it's some sort of external factor that I can't control. So the first thing is I chose to go to therapy. <laughs> that's the first way that I learned how to manage my anxiety as an entrepreneur. I, a few years ago, got to that point where I was having regular anxiety attacks for like a few weeks or something. And that's when I finally was like, okay, I'm going to therapy. Like something has to change. I think that was the first time that I had had like a cluster of panic attacks and it wasn't just like once in a blue moon. So I found a therapist. I've actually done a podcast episode with her if you want to go find it, but I got a lot of tools from her and obviously processed a lot of trauma identified, worked on identifying my belief system and letting go of toxic thought patterns and stuff, which I'll get into in a second. But I started biweekly therapy and I stayed in therapy at that like interval for I think over a year. And then I slowly kind of tapered off. I currently am not actively in therapy, but I'm thinking I might start again soon, not because anything is wrong, but because I just think it's so important to stay ahead of the curve, like stay ahead of any mental health struggles if possible. And of course, like eating well, moving my body, sleeping enough, self-care, all that stuff helps. But I, I think nothing can quite replace a therapist, even if it's just for maintenance. So anyway, some of the things that I worked on with my therapist were really identifying what my belief system was like what what belief system was I even operating under and identifying like the toxic thought patterns that were not necessarily triggering my anxiety but like allowing it to snowball and allowing it to build instead of de-escalating my anxiety which is really the goal I don't think the goal necessarily is like again fix anxiety or never have things that make you anxious I think it's knowing how to identify and process and release anxiety instead. So I realized that my belief system, and maybe you can relate, was very tied to like achievements are my self-worth, like hitting goals and making grades and getting the captain spot or getting the starting spot or being invited to things even, like being part of the friend group that I wanted to be in or reaching certain fitness goals, or winning bikini competitions, or hitting revenue goals in my business, or hitting follower milestones, anything like that. Like achievements were very much where I drew my self-worth from. I think that's a high achiever thing. I think that's specifically an Enneagram 3 thing. Of course, other people can deal with it, but like if you're an Enneagram 3, if you know, you know. So I was very much tying achievements to my self-worth and I felt more worthy the more I was hitting goals. So that obviously put a lot of pressure on myself and created a lot of anxiety that like didn't need to be there. It was internally created a little bit. And so I had to choose a new belief system and I have to remind myself of it all the time that working harder is not the only way to get more. Like it's not about working more hours, working harder, grinding more, sacrificing more. That's not the only way to get more, to achieve more. And so I've had to choose new beliefs in like every area of life. <laughs> so for example, one belief that I have for my business now is like 
I make more money, not when I work more, but when I reach more people and when my clients get more epic results. So that shifts the focus on just how many hours can I work? How many tasks can I get done? How hard can I hustle? It's about how can I reach more people? How can I get my clients better results? And that doesn't necessarily align or that's not necessarily tied to how many hours I work. In fact, there are some weeks that I only work like 15, 20 hours and my business is still growing. So I've had to choose new beliefs around self-worth and achievement in every area of my life. And I've also had to really like identify and continuously keep releasing toxic thought patterns around, again, worthiness, around achievement, around judgment around not taking things personally, around judging myself. (laughs) And I've also had to really work on not putting so much value on how other people see me. This is another like type three thing. Uh, Enneagram three thing is really deeply desiring for people to see me in the best light possible. And especially when you're, I guess, a public figure, it's so easy for that to kind of get out of control because there are so many opinions and there are so many people passing judgment on how you show up, how you live your life, how you say certain things, the choices that you make. And the reality is is like no one can ever know the full picture. Like that's just not possible. So I have to release (laughs) the need for everyone to really understand, to really see me in the best light possible to, for everyone to accept that like I have good intentions and I know my shit and I am doing things in the way that like is right, or at least I feel is right and things like that. And that was something I struggled with earlier on, especially when I was in like high school and college and still had a platform was people not understanding or people passing judgment on things that they didn't have the whole story on. And I had to really release that. But that caused a lot of anxiety because I felt like I always had something to prove. I always had to be on the defense. I always had to be over explaining myself and covering my ass so that people wouldn't see me in a negative way. And now I'm a lot more confident in (laughs) the value that I bring and my intentions and what is important. And so I've been able to kind of bless and release that stuff, other people's expectations, other people's judgments, and the need to be seen in like the best light. Of course, I still want people to understand my intentions. And and of course, like who doesn't want to be accepted and praised on a certain level, but that can't be where my self-worth is derived from. So that's been something that I really worked on a lot in therapy and is still something that is present in my in my personal development. Within therapy, I also learned a lot of really great self-soothing and like coping tools so that again, it's not about necessarily fixing anxiety, but when it comes up, how am I going to cope with it? How am I going to process it? How am I going to accept it and release it? And one of the hardest parts of that for me is doing all of that without judgment. Because if you have the anxiety, there's like a trigger, right? There's usually a source. My panic attacks were a bit different. It wasn't necessarily triggered by one event. It was more of a compounded like building up of stress. But when it comes to just general anxiety, it usually has a source. And so you have the anxiety from the source, but if you're also judging yourself about the anxiety, that creates two problems instead of just fixing 
one problem. (laughs) So that was something I really, really, really had to work on when it came to self-soothing, coping, releasing the anxiety. And one of the first things that my therapist taught me that was super, super helpful was naming my emotions and identifying where I felt them in my body. So that meant that I wasn't just anxious (laughs) all the time, like, oh, I feel anxious. It was actually getting deeper than that and understanding, I feel fearful of this. I feel sad about this. I feel upset. I feel angry. I feel betrayed. I feel unsafe, right? Getting more specific about what exactly I was feeling because I think there are a lot of negative emotions that can contribute to anxiety. But if you're just giving it a blanket statement of, I feel anxious and you're not going deeper into the more nuanced feeling and where it's coming from, it's hard to really release it. It's hard to really process it. So naming the emotion behind the anxiety or emotions, if there were many, and then identifying where I feel them in my body. For me, I usually feel my anxiety kind of in my chest. I notice that I start like breathing really shallow, breathing fast. I kind of get like hunched over and curled in on myself and it just feels really heavy in my chest. So checking in with my body and getting back to my body and naming my emotions really, really helps me start that process of letting it go and understanding what's happening. Another thing would be the five, four, three, two, one grounding technique, which is basically it takes you through your five senses to help you get grounded, help you get present. And it's a calming technique that can help you get through like stressful situations that might be triggering anxiety. So like you look for five things that you can see, you notice four things that you can feel, you listen for three different sounds, you identify two different things that you can smell and one thing that you can taste. So again, five things you can see, four things you can feel, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste. And going through that list just helps you get back into your body and not in your mind. To me, anxiety feels like a tornado in my brain that then just like also sits on my chest, I guess. But the five, four, three, two, one method helps you just get outside of that mess. Another self-soothing and coping tool I love using is brain dumping. I've talked about this at length. I have a recent episode about productivity that goes deep into my brain dumping and scheduling strategies. So if you want more in-depth info about that, check out that episode. We'll link it in the episode description. But brain dumping is essentially getting all of the thoughts that are in your brain onto a piece of paper, onto a Google Doc. I like to write them down physically first. But if you can get stuff out of your head, you don't have to hold it there anymore. It's not like swirling around. And I always feel like my brain and thoughts are so tangled until I get them out and see them on a piece of paper. And then things aren't so scary. It's kind of like the monster under the bed. Like once you look, it's not so scary. And it also makes you realize like how you can prioritize things and how you can actually take action or release things that aren't so important. So brain dumping is a huge coping tool that I use. And then another thing is finding hobbies and finding things that I can do for fun that are not achievement-based. Doing things just for pure pleasure, doing things just for joy and play, which I know this sounds maybe crazy if you're not like really achievement oriented, but I didn't have anything in my life that I was doing just for fun, like just because it was fun. I was only traveling for work. I was only doing things that could make me money or that could grow my business. And 
I now have more fun things in my life. You could argue that like my horseback riding is still achievement based because I go to competitions and stuff, but really day to day for me, it's about fun and just getting better as a rider, but not necessarily hitting super specific goals. And even if I am focused on a specific goal, like right now I'm about to go to a horse show or actually when you're listening to this episode, I am horse showing. And I'm in the middle of three weeks of traveling for shows, which of course I want to be winning. I want to be getting blue ribbons. But even then I have at least one or two rides a week where I'm just doing it for fun. Like I'm just there to hang out with my horse, enjoy the weather, have a good time, see my friends. And that's really important. I've also really prioritized my social life more, whether it's Zoom happy hours (laughs) because Rona or long distance friendships, or getting together for dinner with people, or hosting dinner parties at my house, and just finding things that I do for fun. Video games, puzzles, playing cards, Mario Kart, (laughs) Animal Crossing was a big thing for me like a year ago. Just various things that are just for fun. Decorating my house is super fun. And then just as like a side note, I also have recently started dabbling with microdosing psilocybin. I'm not well-versed enough in it yet to really speak on it, but so far it has been really great for my anxiety, been really great for my mental health, been really great for my ability to just be in my body and appreciate where I'm at. So that's just a side note. Again, I don't have a ton of expertise in it yet. I'm learning more all the time, but if you're interested in hearing more about my journey with microdosing, let me know. I'm happy to talk more about it as I keep going, but I'm still in the early, early stages. So all in all, therapy and the tools I learned in therapy were massively helpful. And like I said, I'm definitely open to going back sooner than later. And honestly, I think everyone can benefit from therapy, whether you are in a mental health struggle actively or not. Like I just think everyone has shit that they could work through and self-awareness that they can improve and tools that they could learn. So therapy, learning coping tools, learning how to process, learning how to release things, learning to identify the belief systems and thought patterns that were making me worse was massively valuable. And also I've thrown microdosing into the mix as well, on top of, of course, all the self-care things. The other thing that had to happen is I had to integrate all the things that I was learning in therapy into my business because my business is a huge part of my life. And how I was running it before contributed to my anxiety (laughs) and how I run it now supports a healthier mental state more mental health, more mental well-being. So I really did have to change how I approached my business, how I structured my business, how I set goals. And I, I did really start thinking about my goals differently in order to decrease the perceived pressure that was contributing to anxiety. So I used to really feel like everything in my business was like, a do or die situation. (laughs) Like I really felt like I either had to do something perfectly or I was not going to do it at all. And I really felt like whatever goals I set or whatever deadlines I set or whatever I said was like gospel. There was no gray area. There was no 
getting an A instead of an A plus, not even A minus, much less a B. Like it had to be an A plus. And if I had committed to something like it was do or die. And I do still believe that you should like stick to your word and do what you say you're going to do and stuff. But I was over committing and then also expecting myself to like perform at 100% every day, more like 110%. Like I expected myself to be like superhuman. So everything felt like a do or die situation and everything felt like 10 out of 10 priority. Now I am so much better at identifying what really is a priority, what really does move the needle, and then what are things that are like, yeah, it would be nice if this happened, but it's not a big deal. A great analogy I love, and I can't remember where I heard it, I think maybe Gary Vee, not usually a huge fan, but of his just approach, but this was a good one, and it's that you might be juggling a lot of balls in the air, but some are glass and some are rubber, paraphrasing, but not everything you're working on or not everything you've committed to is a glass ball. Some of them, if you drop it, it's going to bounce and that's okay. And so I really had to relearn like how I look at objectives and tasks and deadlines within my business. And then instead of things being like, again, a do or die situation, I started looking at things as more of like an experiment or a challenge instead of like, this has to work out this specific way. Because over the years of running my business, I've realized there are so many ways to create a desired outcome. Like there are a million ways to make a million dollars. There are a million ways to sign more clients. There are a million ways to grow your audience. Like whatever the goal is, there are so many different approaches. And instead of feeling so tied to like a specific approach and a specific outcome, I've started seeing things more as experiments or challenges or like let's see if this works. And if it doesn't, having faith in myself and my abilities and my support system that like it'll get figured out even if it doesn't go exactly how I want it to. So loosely holding on to those goals instead of like clenching my fists around them being like, this has to work this certain way and just putting so much pressure on it. Another way that I've thought about my goals differently over the past, the recent years is instead of just having one giant, big, scary goal, I have good, better, best goals. So I have like three levels of goals so that I still am goal oriented and I perform best and I feel best when I know what I'm working towards, but I don't need to always be working towards this like crazy high thing, right? So having good, better, best goals, having three levels of goals really, really helps me. So the good goal is something that like feels really achievable, feels really realistic, but also feels worth it. So like, for example, if it's a launch, like what is the either the revenue number, the sales number, or the like spots filled or whatever that feels really realistic, feels doable, but also makes it worth your time, makes you excited, finding that like realistic and very approachable sweet spot. And then like what's a little bit past that, a little bit of a stretch is your better goal. And then what's like the big stretch that like feels scary, but if everything goes great, then you might hit it. That would be your best goal. So having good, better, best lets me strive for something and have like a concrete kind of benchmark without feeling like I have to hit the best level no matter what. And if I fall short of that, I failed versus maybe I don't hit best, but I hit better. Or I hit good. I can still be satisfied and I can still know that like it was worth it. Right. So thinking about my goals differently, it took a lot of the pressure off that was contributing 
to my anxiety. And again, this is like pressure that I'm putting on myself. Of course, in the earlier stages of my business, there was pressure to pay the bills and survive and all like be able to graduate college and support myself and all that stuff, of course. But once you get past that stage, like I was still having so much anxiety about my income, about hitting goals, and it just didn't need to be that way. And the next note I have written down is just like, again, realizing that some things are rubber balls, not glass balls. So really establishing that hierarchy of priorities and really taking a look at like what is actually moving the needle, what is actually important in my business and in my life, like that is definitely carried over to life stuff too. And understanding that not everything deserves equal weight, not everything deserves equal attention. I used to treat my to-do list as like, again, a do or die. Like I either completed all 10 things on my to-do list or I failed for the day. And now it's like, okay, if I get like the five top things done and then the other five things like didn't really move the needle or weren't super urgent and I had to push them off, like it's going to be okay. And I have my clients do various different things depending on like their personalities and stuff related to tasks and productivity and everything. Sometimes having like a big three is helpful. Sometimes focusing on five, sometimes just having a hierarchy of priorities, sometimes doing the Eisenhower matrix. There are so many different ways that you can like prioritize. But I think the overall thing to remember is like there might be a lot of balls in the air, but some are rubber and some are glass. Another way that I've changed how I approach my business to support less anxiety or managing anxiety is setting and enforcing better boundaries with clients. And that also goes along with how I structure actually like my programs and stuff. So when I first started out, my clients could text me anytime. I did not have any like specific response time that my clients could expect from me. I was doing free coaching in my DMs. I was answering so many questions. I didn't have boundaries really. It's not that I wasn't just enforcing boundaries. I like didn't really have clear boundaries, which is the first step. So I I learned really quickly once I got a business coach that setting boundaries actually served everyone. Like not only does it make your clients feel safer because they know what the ground rules are, they know how to operate within the container, but it also helps you protect your time, energy, headspace. So now all of my programs, all of my clients' programs are really strategically structured to support everyone's success, everyone's well-being, not just how can I give the client my everything, right? Because that's not sustainable. So setting and enforcing boundaries in a way that serves everyone can feel tricky, but it's definitely possible and has been a huge part in managing my anxiety. So some examples of like, especially communication boundaries, I think are key for this, but my clients know that they have a one business day response time. I don't always guarantee that I'll get back to you same day. If someone messages me at 5 p.m., they may or may not get a response that day. It might be tomorrow. And that's everyone expects that. Everyone knows that. I don't check my Voxer messages 50 times a day. I usually check them like two or three times a day and I answer all the messages that I have. So again, my clients can expect that they'll hear back from me, but it's not immediate. There also really aren't emergencies really that like 
necessitate me to respond that fast either. And I also, for any coaches listening, I think that being overly responsive to your clients just creates dependent clients versus clients that are empowered and confident, like doing things on their own. So that's a side note, but setting and enforcing boundaries has absolutely supported anxiety management. Another thing that has helped with protecting my time and energy is hiring team members. Not only have my team members taken things off of my plate in terms of tasks and responsibilities and helping me expand areas of my business, but they also serve as like a buffer between me and things that steal my energy. So they help with tech bullshit that's like really frustrating and gets me worked up. They help with customer service. They help with taxes. They help with legal. I have people handling all that stuff. Any of those problems hardly ever get to me. In the past when they did get to me and I was doing all that stuff on my own, it's easy for your entire day to get derailed by some tech bullshit or a customer service fire or whatever. Like it's so easy for those things to spiral and be an anxiety trigger. So having a team serve as a buffer between me and that stuff is invaluable. And also part of hiring a team, it wasn't just about having the finances to reinvest into my business. It wasn't just about finding the right people. It was about realizing that I deserved to have help. I didn't have to do it all alone. I literally was worthy of having support and that my goals, my big goals were only possible with help, right? Like I wanted to build a legacy. I want to build an empire. I want to have a business support, a freaking extraordinary lifestyle. And I realized that my goals are only possible with help and that there's no award for doing everything yourself. Like that there's no badge. There's no plaque. There's no sign for your desk. Like like you can go so much farther with help and also you deserve to have help. And that has massively, massively helped me manage anxiety because I can trust that things are getting handled. And if I need to take a day off, if I need to have a mental health day, if I want to go horse show for three weeks, which I'm doing when you're listening to this episode, my team is still running stuff and I don't have to feel like it's either work hard and put in the hours or don't make money. Like I can take a step back and make money. I can take a step back and my clients are still being supported. I can take a step back and my community is still being served because I have a team. So I cannot tell you the peace of mind that that has given me and my clients that are at that point where they're hiring team members are like, oh my God, this is life changing. And I'm like, yes, now now you get it. And once you find your first couple good team members, you get like addicted <laughs> to building a bomb team. And now I have, I think last time I counted, I have 13 people on my team. Some are project basis, some are ongoing basis, but they all have different strengths, different responsibilities, different roles, and they keep everything running whether I show up for work or not, which is freaking bomb. And then last but not least, setting and enforcing better boundaries with myself has been huge and has been a big shift in how I approach my business. I have been so much better about setting work hours in terms of how many hours a day I work. Sometimes I, it's not necessarily I work nine to five, like many days I will, for example, take a few hours in the middle of the day off to go to the barn or something, but I don't let myself 
consecutively work late nights or super long hours over and over and over again. Like I'm always protective of my energy reserves, protective of like my cumulative hours for the week. I let myself flow with my energy. I'm I'm like the visionary creative type where when my energy is really good and I have a lot of ideas, I need to like take advantage of that. But on the flip side, also give myself permission to have slower days where I'm not working as much. So I'm always keeping a finger on the pulse of my work hours, not in a nine to five cutoff way, but in like a cumulative way where I'm really being honest with myself of how I'm feeling and what's being forced versus not. And I also am really good about weekends. I don't work Saturdays ever at all. If I work on a Sunday, it's literally because I want to. Like if I'm feeling excited about a specific type of content, usually it's content because I love content or like developing a new offer or something. Like if I get into a creative flow, I don't fight that. I don't deny myself of it because that's fun for me. But I never force myself to work on the weekends. The only time I would do that is if I'm, let's say, like about to leave for vacation or something and I really want to work ahead so that I can take future days off. But having that space to recharge and play and relax and not feel like I have stuff to prove is really, really helpful. And I think we can build that into every day as well. Like I just try to do something for just for me, just for my own fun, just for my enjoyment every day, whether that's reading books. I love like nerdy fantasy novels, for example. I love playing Mario Kart with friends. I love going to happy hour. I love cooking. I love going for walks. There's so many things that I do just for me every day. And I think that is key as well. It's so easy, especially when you're so passionate about your business, to really get sucked into the vision, sucked into the hustle, sucked into the work. And you forget that like you are also a human being (laughs) with a life. I think it's easy to do that in certain seasons. So making sure that you're really setting aside doing something for yourself every day. I forgot the biggest one when I was making that list, which is riding horses. My barn time is the first thing that gets on my calendar. Like that is actually a golden rule in my business that everyone on my team knows. Barn time is sacred. Like that is literally a golden rule. It gets added to my calendar first. It does not get touched. Same thing with I recently started going back to gym, I'm working with a personal trainer that gets added to my calendar first. So like those things are prioritized over meetings, over tasks, over clients. Like those things come first because if I don't take care of me, nothing else is going to go well. So those are some shifts that I've made in my business, some shifts that I've made in my personal life, in my mindset, in my toolkit for managing anxiety. And again, I think it's important to remember it's not necessarily about fixing yourself or fixing your anxiety, but rather learning tools and strategies for managing it and coexisting with it that work for you. And I 1000% believe that if you struggle with anxiety, you can totally still live an awesome, successful happy life, but you have to be willing to do the inner work to support that part of you. Like ignoring it is not going to make it go away. You have to be willing to do the work to face it, to work alongside it in order to reach your true potential and reach your true happiness potential more than anything. I think for high achievers, it's easier to be like, I need to reach my potential by working more and working harder. That's a trap. 
reaching your potential is not just on the achievements. It's about your fulfillment. It's about your happiness. It's about the balance between it all. And for me, you know, my huge belief is that business supports life. So I hope this was helpful. If you deal with anxiety, whether it's, you know, quote unquote, normal, the type of stuff most people experience or on a clinical level, I see you, I feel for you. You are still amazing. You are still so capable and you have options for how you can manage it, how you can support yourself. So I hope that this was helpful. Last but not least, don't forget that right now, Online Coach Kickstart, my industry-leading group mentorship program for beginner and aspiring online coaches, has an epic enrollment bonus. The Sales Call Secrets Bundle is available if you apply by June 25th, 2020. So get that application in right now to lock it in. Again, you can learn more about the program and submit your application at onlinecoachkickstart.com. I will give you the proven blueprint to starting and scaling a super successful online coaching business. I hope to see you there. I'm so looking forward to hanging out with you again next week. But until then, grind to be grateful, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning in and spending some time with me today. I hope you loved this episode. And if you did, please take a moment to share it with someone or pop the screenshot up on your Instagram story and tag me. I especially love when you guys share a little on why you enjoyed the episode so that I can keep making more content that you want to hear. Last but not least, don't forget to hit subscribe and I will see you again next week. Until then, grind and be grateful, my friend.